0: Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organisations involved in drug discovery and R&D. This week on Careers in Discovery, I am delighted to be joined by Dmitri Zamoriakin of MidaTech Pharma. Dmitry, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Tom, thanks very much.
0: Great to see you, um, Dimitri. I'm really interested to start by talking a bit about Midotech. Um, I know a company making some really innovative strides in in biodelivery, biodistribution. It'd be great to to hear more about that and the work that you're you're involved in
1: today. Yeah, sure. Um, so tech is a company, and we're uh, that's based in, in in Cardiff in Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we do have uh, staff members that are spread all, the, all over Europe. So we have uh, colleagues of mine working from Berlin. I, I myself based in London, although, and although the majority of our staff um, um, is based in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. We are um, a company that I would say consists of two um, branches, if you want. So the first branch is, and, and the, the whole business of the company is based on um, a couple of, on two or three, uh, platforms uh, mm-hmm. that um, that all deal with the drug delivery. So one of these platforms, our major major platform, is called QSphera. So that is a, a um, polymer micro uh, microparticles based platform that is intended to deliver uh, drugs over a prolonged period of time, ranging from uh, you know a week to several months, um, and it is highly tunable. So we um, the, the beauty of this platform, I think, is that we, we can, we can uh, modify it um, according to the needs of an individual drug. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a couple of other platforms, one of which allows us to solubilize um, um, drugs that generally are non-soluble and we use it quite extensively um, in, in treatment of uh, in brain tumors, um, okay. specifically glioblastoma. And then we have a, our gold nanoparticle platform as that we're also exploring some of the uh, skin um skin diseases mm-hmm. um and then that branch of the platform is um used for both our proprietary and uh, those platforms rather used to both for our proprietary programs that we are moving uh, moving along ourselves yes. as well as um as well as they have been offered to our external clients. And we work with, collaborate with a number of companies at the moment uh, on um, tr- on encapsulating um, the uh, drugs of interest for these companies into our platforms and trying to mm. trying to see whether we can extend the formulation and extend the delivery of, the, of these drugs in individual indications.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So um, it's it's a fascinating problem to solve because I think we see it a lot that as drugs become more complex, they sometimes become harder to get to the right place in the right amount in the right form. Right. And I think this, this, um, this sort of problem of delivery, this problem of distribution is, is more and more prevalent as we look at all these advanced therapies. So it's a, it's a really valuable thing to solve. And so there's a few things to, to, to look at there, I guess. Um, The interesting thing that struck me, first of all, was that this is this, this technology then can be used to deliver drugs over a period of time, as you say, so you can do that slow release type activity. Um, what, what What's the sort of benefit of that that you see and how, how does that work for my detector?
1: Um, there is a number of benefits actually with the extended, uh, ex- with, with what we call extended release formulations. Mm-hmm. This, um, we can start with the one that is related to patient compliance. So there are certain conditions where patients have to take s- to take drugs chronically, sometimes throughout their entire life. And uh, mm-hmm. as you may imagine, quite often when you take something for a prolonged period of time, you get used to the this. And with the with 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 you getting used to, you also get tired of taking certain mm-hmm. certain medications. Rather, you start forgetting about doing this. And with certain conditions, it is absolutely critical that you maintain a specific what we call a therapeutic level of a drug in the in the, um, um, in, the in the circulation. Yes. And obviously, extended release formulation uh, help with this because they because if you um, apply a drug um, instead of instead of a patient taking a tablet once or twice a day. You inject a patient with a depot of drug, which mm. then releases the active ingredient over a period of, let's say, two weeks or a month. Then they're, they're, suddenly, the patient no longer needs to take, to take two tablets a day, but rather needs to have one one fail, painless injection um, once a month. Yeah. So the compliance improves. Um, the second probably most critical Um, a critical um, feature of the extended release formulations that they allow us um, to deliver them directly into the site of action. So Mm -hmm. um, as you may know, let's talk a little bit about the oncology part of this, because we we work quite extensively in the field of oncology. So there is um, a a significant trend at the moment uh, on exploring the way of delivering Therapeutics directly into the tumor. Yes. This field been been there for a while, and the attempts to deliver drugs into the tumor been there for a while. But we are now not talking not only about what we call cytotoxic drugs, drugs that directly um, kill the kill the cancer cells. Mm-hmm. We are talking about the drugs oh, that are that are in the group of immunomodulators. So the drugs that not. That that um, prime our immune system to target the cancer cells. Yes. Exactly. Um, obviously, the yeah, the immune therapy has been on the market and has been, and and is very extensively developed, as as I'm sure you know, um, everywhere. Mm. However. Um, A lot of these immunomodulating drugs are associated with severe systemic toxicities, and quite often they have to be given in, in, in large doses over repeated cycles over a long period of time. Therefore, attempts are being made to try and deliver deliver them locally, so that a we could try and decrease the dose because the drug works in the area where it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and b tr- with this we are trying to alleviate some of the systemic toxicities that are associated with these drugs, and and therefore increase efficiency as well.
0: No, makes sense, makes sense, and I, I think you know there's an interesting dichotomy there, isn't there? Because it's enabling drugs that would be difficult to use otherwise because of the toxicity levels, as you say, but um, also looking at this problem of compliance, not as how do we make the patients do this, but how do we make it easier for the patients to comply and and to, to take part in these treatment programs.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and we also need to we also need to remember as well that the majority of these immune modulating drugs and uh, are proteins, are proteins mm-hmm. and peptides, and therefore by nature they are quite fragile. So you have to be very careful when you, quote unquote, play with this with these drugs because it's very easy to denature them and therefore to completely switch off to completely kill the drug itself. So if you put it into specific into certain formulations. Uh, when the manufacturing process is associated with increased temperature or very harsh harsh solvents or very harsh excipients, they damage the protein which loses mm-hmm. its function. And the beauty of Q-sphere uh, technology is that uh, the way we manufacture these tiny spheres is such that we do not expose our drugs neither to high temperatures nor to very harsh chemicals. And therefore we preserve the protein, the protein, when it is encapsulated in the spheres, and therefore when it gets released, it is still in its active, for, in, in, in its active form. Yes. Um, I don't really think, and to my knowledge, that many many platforms are able to do so with the proteins. With small drugs, what we call small molecules, mm-hmm. it's quite easy to do, and there are there is multitude of companies that do, they do that do um, extended release formulations in yes. different ways, but working with proteins is fairly limited
0: yeah and there are more and more protein-based therapies of course being done so yeah i I see where it's going certainly
1: and and you mentioned you're also
0: working on a a gold nanoparticle platform Um, can you tell us a bit more about that
1: yes uh so this is a very uh, this is also quite an interesting platform we um so gold nanoparticles are indeed the particles the salts of gold that have a very small um a small size. So if in, in microparticles we are talking about uh let's say 20, 30, 50 micrometers, yes. With gold nanoparticles, we are in the nano nano area. We are talking about two to four nanometers. So they're wow. absolutely tiny particles. And essentially what we are attempting to do is we are coupling these gold nanoparticles with particular drugs. So one of these drugs that we're working with is methotrexate. It's a quite a well-known drug that's been uh, that's been out there for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, I, without going into all the details, methotrexate is an effective drug, but it's got its own limitations and as well side effects. So what we're attempting to do is we're attempting to use gold nanoparticles as carriers of methotrexate to the area of its action. And um, in this particular case, we are attempting to treat patients with... Um, mild to moderate to severe psoriasis uh, by applying a mixed of gold, a mixture of gold nanoparticles coupled with methotrexate onto the skin and seeing whether that penetrates better into the, into the psoriatic plaques as compared to, you know, methotrexate on its own. Yes, yes, makes sense.
0: And is it gold just because you can get them to the right size, those
1: particles, or is that is there another? Well, There is a there is um so the mechanism of the of of the action of gold nanoparticles is not very well understood. However, okay. it is very well known that A, they are they they are able to easily penetrate inside the cells and therefore carry with them whatever whatever they are coupled to. Right. But it's also well known that gold nanoparticles themselves exert a certain um um immunomodulating effect or immunosuppressive effect, and in patients with psoriasis, that is exactly what you want what what you want them to do. Mm. How will they do this they work through uh, metalloproteases is one of these theories. Um, but again, this mechanism is not very well understood. We mainly rely on, the, on them as carriers of methotrexate, that, yes. that is the drug that is the immunosuppressive drug that we are using. Or, uh, however, we also see some side effects, if you want, the positive side effects of the nanoparticles themselves. Yes, I see, I see. Um, and- you're, of course, there as
0: the Chief Scientific Officer, Dimitri, and um, that, that title can cover quite a lot of ground in different companies. Yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about your role and where you spend most of your time.
1: So um, I, um, as a Chief Scientific Officer, I'm responsible for all um, research and development activities within MidorTech. And that um, comes with its own challenges, as you may imagine. I'm a physician by training, so yes. my, I spent um, my entire career working in the preclinical and clinical development of drugs. Midotech, because we are a company that has a significant engineering bit to it, Mm -hmm. because we develop our own devices that manufacture these spheres, we have quite a we have not we have a fantastic team of engineers that work in the company, but they also report to the chief scientific officer. Right. And as you may imagine, the engineering bit is far from what I've been doing <laughs> in my career so far. So this past um, several these past months that I that I've been at detect was a very steep learning curve mm-hmm. in the in the field of engineering. And uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I've got. Um, um, uh, great people from the analytical team, pre-clinical team and CMC development team and clinical teams reporting to me. Yes, okay,
0: so a very broad role and uh, and we'll come back to, to sort of your journey towards that as well and, and how you've taken your career that way. But um, we always like to start at the beginning um, and as you said you're a physician by training Dimitri, so for you going back to the, to the sort of very origins of your career, why medicine and why drug development eventually? What, what was the sort of, the, the, why did you choose this path, I suppose?
1: <laughs> it is um it's probably yeah it's probably a little bit unusual the way i ended up where i am right now so i'm coming from a family of doctors so okay. both my parents are doctors and in fact my grandmother was a doctor as well so it's it's a family trend yeah um so i've uh, once when um i've graduated from the medical school and then uh completed my training in obstet- uh, um, obstetrics and gynecology mm-hmm. um and and at the same time i also um obtained a degree in um intensive care um, and uh, it's not very traditional to talk about why people to talk about the real reasons why people switch from from you know <laughs> practical medicine to what some 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 of us call the dark side the side of pharmaceutical <laughs> development um, but i guess it's probably the right thing to talk about and then in mm. my case it was uh, it was um driven by um Better financial prospects, frankly. Okay. So, at the time when I was, and I, st- I think it's 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 correct up until now. In fact, um, the pharmaceutical industry um, used to pay much more, and it was a much more stable um, um, career, uh, right. which was actually very and a stable field, which was actually very hard to get into. And I, um, um, back many years ago, I had had an opportunity to to get into that field, and I used it. Um, I started my um, my career at GSK mm-hmm. uh, first in the um, Moscow office of GSK working on some of the clinical trials and then and then um, I was invited and moved over to the uh, research to the research and development office in in, in, in the UK near London yes. um, in uh, Greenford the the, the as of today GSK have closed they've recently they've closed this office now mm-hmm. so everything's concentrated in one area but when I moved to the UK um that was the their largest R&D office yes
0: and, and what were your what were your sort of impressions what are the things that stick with you from that move into into a company like GSK because of course it, you know you didn't just join a small biotech where there was a few people it's a big global organization and um you know, I imagine a little different than the the academic work that you'd been doing up to that point. what What are the things you remember about making that transition?
1: Um, well I first of all I remember significant doubts about whether that move was the right one because um, I actually really enjoyed practical medicine and right. I periodically still uh, do uh, go on uh, on shifts with my friends here in London um, yeah. um, just just sort of to get back into that into that field of, of practice um, what I remember is that um, GSK being a very large company you obviously have a person for each for each small function and yes. i remember that there was always support there was always support for everything so if you needed that piece of information there was a, a person that was person mm-hmm. that was specialized in that piece of information if you needed to have something done in this particular area there was always somebody who was specialized in this particular area I see, yes. and it came in a very very um, dramatic contrast with my next move when I moved to a much smaller company called Ono Pharma. Yes. Um, ono Pharma is a, is a mid-sized company in Japan, it's a Japanese company, but it was a very small company at the time mm. with, a, with a small R&D office in London. And, and, and coming from where everybody can do, whether you, where you have support for everything, to a role where you have to do everything on your own was a very dramatic change, and and again a very steep learning curve at the time. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I suppose you know if, if there's there's arguments for both, right? If people are thinking about a move into industry, it can be good to go into a small company because you get to touch lots of things. But in a big company, there's there's a lot more knowledge, there's a lot more resource, there's a lot more, um, uh, I guess, practical experience, know-how of how things have been done in the past. So I suppose there's um, there's advantages there on both sides. And then you you um, yeah, so that'd be interesting to see. As you say, you move to a pharma, Um, Again, smaller organization in the, in the UK. Um, and I don't know if it was a traditional Japanese company. I know when I've worked with Japanese companies in the past, they do like to decentralize. They like people to make their own decisions in the regions. Um, you know, they, they like it to be sort of a little organization in and of itself reporting into Japan. Was that kind of the setup
1: there? That was that. That exactly was was the setup. Um, we had um, at the time when I joined Ono Pharma, we had a group of, uh, if I remember correctly, probably about eight people altogether, of right. which you know six people were colleagues from Japan, and they were mainly concentrating on on finding business deals and uh, you know and and, and 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 reporting back to the central office. Whereas yes. the small group of uh, the the other small group was the one that was moving. The clinical, preclinical, and clinical trials forward. And as I said before, um, you know, you suddenly had to become, uh, you know, a, 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 a clinical man, study manager and a medical monitor and a regulatory person. And you and and uh, uh, you know, need to needed to understand something in data management in in preclinical development. And obviously, it came with its own challenges. And I mm. think we may have. We've, I'm pretty sure we we have made certain mistakes when we were doing sure. things, but then again, when you if you don't do mis- if you don't make mistakes, you don't learn really. And uh, and and to your earlier point, um, I think for I think in, it, it is indeed very individual uh, as to whether. A person would want to work for a large company or a small company. The Large companies they offer unlimited resources, they offer stability, yeah. they also offer a possibility to do sometimes things that smaller companies simply cannot afford because of the because of the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, they offer uh, the smaller companies they offer challenges, and uh, I. Right. For one, I'm 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 on that side. I prefer something. I prefer very fast pace and challenges, and and therefore, for me, smaller companies appealed more than than the large farmers. Yes, yeah, it makes sense.
0: And, and I think you know there are people who thrive in big companies, but I think a lot of people come to that conclusion, right? If you, you, you take more ownership, take more responsibility, it, it it can be a very rewarding move to go into a smaller environment. Um, but as you say, you know, it's, it's individual preference. I think. Um, so, so you joined GSK, you, you said you, you sort of had some, um, doubts, some misgivings about leaving practice, um, or leaving full-time practice at least. Um, at what point did you think actually, yes, clinical research, drug development, this is the path for me, this is where I'm going to spend my career. W- was there ever a decision point or is that just how it's
1: evolved? Um, I think the, 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 the very moment when I, Finally decided I'm not going to try to go back into the into practical medicine was was the time when um, one of the studies that I worked on actually succeeded and then ended right. up getting into the into the uh, registrational phase. So yes, that's yes. when you kind of start realizing that although you are on the dark side, you are actually contributing to practical <laughs> medicine and you are contributing to you know to treatment of patients with diseases that don't have either don't have treatment or you're providing better options for treatment yes. and that was the moment and that was that was around the time when uh when I was just about to leave JSK, mm-hmm. and um and and, and and that was and that that's when I made the decision yeah makes sense yeah because
0: I suppose you know some people spend it takes a long time sometimes to see that come through it depends what programs you're on right and it can take a long time to see that milestone but that must be a very Reinforcing thing for all the work that you've been putting in to see it progress and to see it move forward into more patients.
1: I, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. There are some, I, I met some people who are, who are very lucky, um, um, being able to combine the two roles so they still maintain their practical practical side of work maybe one or two days a week and then and then the rest of the time they spent in uh, in, in pharmaceutical development I wasn't able to do this at the time and uh, um but I guess that 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 those people are in a special category. so to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course um so as you say
0: you you moved on from GSK you went to Erno Pharma a very different organization but but similar
1: sort of role it looks like um, um, or no? Well, it was more, as I said, so so being just involved in clinical trials and yeah. different phases to getting into something with, to a much broader role that required knowledge in the preclinical development as well as okay. as, as yeah. well as supportive functions as we know. So it was it was broader. It was actually yes,
0: broader. I see. I see. So t- so tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about the journey from there and, and sort of the route through the next few places and and uh, and how that all developed.
1: Sure. Um, so I spent uh, with one pharma. I spent, um, I believe, about two or two and a half years, and then I moved to a company called Daiichi Sankyo. Again, a big pharma. Yes. However, um, the UK R and D office of Daiichi Sankyo was fairly small um, at the time when I joined them, um, and um, I. Actually, was with Daiichi Sankyo for um, over eight years. Mm -hmm. So um, um, I um, at the time worked in the um, cardiovascular and hematological group of the company, and we um, were developing um, um, a factor ten inhibitor. In in, it's an anticoagulant drug in patients uh, post um, um, in patients post uh, uh, certain surgeries. Um, or certain um, certain diseases that required anticoagulation yes and um, these were very large studies so one of the trials that we that, 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 that the company did at the time included involved 24,000 patients the other one was I believe around 11,000 if yeah. I remember correctly now so there's a very complex very large studies that require large teams of people yes. uh, driving them forward it was a very interesting time it was a very challenging time on its own because I worked on a number of uh, products um, um, over the years uh, progressing in my career and um, it was a i'm very I'm very thankful to Daishi thank you and to that time because uh, because this was I think a kick start a good kick start towards uh moving into the managerial role mm. uh, role from the from a purely practical pharmaceutical development uh, roles um and in in 2016 um the day thank you made uh, a decision to close the r d office in the uk and um a number of people from the company including myself were offered to move either to the um to the us or i even had an offer to move to japan Mm -hmm. uh however for personal reasons at the time i wasn't able to do either so i needed to stay in europe and therefore yes. i had to leave i had to leave the company which i really didn't want to do um, but i left Daiichi thank you and uh, went to work and live in germany for a couple of years so mm-hmm. i worked for um, um a mid-sized company called grunenthal yes. but, but they are well known for good and bad reasons um <laughs> we're not going to go into details on that but okay. uh, they are pretty well known as a company, and um, um, Gruntal's been um, at the time when I joined them. Um, they just the company was just about to go through a very significant reorganization, which involved mm. the movement of people, myself included, within the company right after I joined it. And uh, um, that was um, that time period was very interesting in so far that I switched from pharmaceutical development to medical devices development and that was a completely new area but gave you a completely new perspective on how the development works in the how the how the development of medical devices works yes um again was very interesting extremely challenging
0: (laughs) yes and I I saw that when I was looking at your background Dimitri that the role that you ended up in in Grunenthal looked very interesting looking at development more broadly, more holistically, and and how do we develop these products, whether they're drugs or medical devices, not just the sort of mechanics of moving something through a process. So that development strategy part looked interesting.
1: Indeed, yeah. And we were, um, because we were um, trying to develop a couple of, a number of interesting, interesting uh, devices at the time, dealing Mm -hmm. with patients. For example with patients with chronic headaches at the same time uh, we were looking into the into uh developing uh devices for um a device that was a surgical glue at the time in patients for um to close wounds but both the superficial skin wounds but also we were developing a glue that could be used for surgeons to close internal Cuts during the surgeries or after surgeries, uh, which was um, again was a very challenging, uh, mm. challenging and interesting time because the development of medical devices is a completely different regulatory environment. It's completely different um, um, different regulations. It's different different rules of of, of development, different timelines, and so on. Um, which is which, which which was which was completely new to me at the time.
0: Mm-mm, Interesting, and I imagine that's a a challenging area to to gather evidence in because the the I would have thought the surgeons are very risk averse to trying new products in that sort of scenario at times.
1: Well, yeah, of course that is true, and that that, that was actually one of the one of the complexities that we yeah. that we faced is 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 finding. Um, finding patients and finding surgeons that would um, that would be willing to risk you know mm. using a glue that had never been used in humans um, to close the wounds uh, of the patients and obviously this is um you know such such human studies needs to be driven by the data that you obtain from yes. from animal models and again these are quite unusual animal models that uh, that you employ in order to in order to move your device from from one phase to from from preclinical phase over to the uh, to the clinical phase. Mm-hmm. It also involves um, um, my role at the time at Grunenthal. So again, it involved uh, working with um, a small group of, um, if not engineers, these were these were a group of. Uh, um, um, th- i'm thinking of how to phrase the, to phrase it to phrase the role but a group of specialists that um that developed a new formulations of drugs so yes. we so Grunenthal as a company is well known for working in the area of pain yes. and one of the um, areas within the pain treatment is the use of opioids which obviously comes with its own complications as, mm-hmm. as imagine and the company um, had developed at the time uh, its proprietary formulation that would uh, that would um, that allowed allow the creation of opioid unbreakable opioid tablets essentially see, so okay. tablets that could not be um, um, could not be um, I'm looking for a good word for that um um, um, um Played with if you want to for my abusers that could not be easily abused. right, yes,
0: understood. So,
1: so that included a, a significant CMC work, and so, mm-hmm. um, I worked closely also with the team of people, um, that worked in that in, in, in this particular area again, something new, yeah, fascinating. Um,
0: so you, you developed a much broader sort of uh, perspective, I imagine, there around development in general and, and different types of development. Um, And then of course you joined Oxford Biomedica and and the time that you were there must have been a very interesting time to be part of that (laughs) organisation. yes
1: yes <laughs> that is yes that is fair to say so yeah in uh, in 2018 I believe it was I decided to move back to, to, to London because I, I, I when I was in Germany I had to commute there and back almost every week and I was mm-hmm. quite tiring over two years time I don't know how people managed to do it for many many years <laughs> I know some that 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 been doing this for you know 10 and 20 years and yes. commuting every week I guess everybody's different, um, but I, I got tired of this commuting, so I mm-hmm. decided to move back to uh, back to the UK. And um, I was invited to join Oxford Biomedica um, as a senior manager um, um, and as a, as a chief medical officer. And mm-hmm. Oxford Biomedica um, is, is 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 pretty well known in the UK nowadays, I think, yes. um, because That's the company true. the company's uh, it's, it's a gene and so gene therapy company and specifically a company that works that works with viral vectors mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to deliver um, to deliver um, certain genes into the area of interest. And at the time when I joined the company, um, um, the pipeline of products that OxyBiomedica had included a very interesting interesting uh, treatment approach for patients with Parkinson's disease where, um, you know, genes that were missing or were faulty in patients with Parkinson's disease that led to the lack of dopamine um, production were inserted through these viral vectors by a direct, yes. direct infusion of this virus, of the modified virus, into the brain of the patient, into the area of interest. A very innovative treatment. I believe this um, this product is still in development and then I hope one day that, that it will be approved because it's uh, um, it, it could give additional, it could give a new treatment option for patients with the disease that is at the moment, at the moment, unfortunately, uncurable. Yes. Yeah. Um, we also, um, at the time um, um, when I was at uh, Oxford Biomedica, we also had an interest in developing our own CAR-T program and uh, I'm pretty sure um that we um that a lot of listeners do know about what car T is and there yes, is now yeah. different types of cars, not the CAR Ts, the car NKs and car martipages. Mm-hmm. Um so we were looking into this area as well. And um as you may imagine I previous before that I had never worked in the viral vector area, neither had I worked in cell and gene therapy. So again there was yet another opportunity. Yes to 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 learn very quickly uh, um, about the peculiarities of this development yes makes sense
0: and, and do you feel then Dimitri that that's something you've been you've sought out during your career or is it is it maybe something that's been serendipitous or, or maybe subconsciously drawn to those opportunities to do new things different things things that you don't necessarily know everything about um i think it's
1: it's it's quite quite to to a large extent it's very serendipitous indeed um i um i think that it is just my peculiar nature of 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 constantly needing to to be challenged uh, because (laughs) i guess i guess it's just it's just that if i'm not challenged i get bored i think the routine Mm -hmm. is the worst thing for me and i appreciate that it's not maybe the it's not. The, it may be not the right approach for, for for some people who prefer to be to be to have in-depth knowledge in one specific area, and that's absolutely fine. It's just that, that's the preference of this group of people. People, my preference to constantly be challenged with something new, and I always had, I always had a an opinion that as the moment of the moment we stop learning, or for in, in my case, the moment I stop learning. It's the moment when I retire. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so for, from that perspective, I'd kind of try to constantly learn something because it, it trains the brain and actually prevents yes. the, the neuro neurodegenerative diseases. <laughs>
0: true. True. <laughs> um, no, that makes sense. And I think uh, if you were if, if you sort of naturally have that perspective, I imagine you'll be drawn to opportunities that that offer you that, and, and um, that'll that'll be how things progress. I would imagine. Um, I, I, and then, of course, you know you've been at Oxford Biomedica, I suppose, for just over a year, and and we entered into March twenty twenty, and the entire world changed.
1: Um... That's correct. Yes. So the whole the whole approach to how we work uh, had changed, and uh, um, it also has a, a profound impact on uh, the companies. Um, um uh, pipeline on yes. the company's uh, approach to working with clients and obviously as we all know uh Oxford Biomedica then got into uh, collaboration with AstraZeneca and mm-hmm. been working with AstraZeneca very intensely and very very um effectively in in developing the vaccine that we all um that is that we all either either have heard of or have used already. yes, yes. and um, that changed the way um, um, as I said before, earlier the way Oxford biomedica operated. and uh, without getting into certain detail into into details on that, mm-hmm. I think at that time at, at, at the time in, back in 2020 there came a point when I um decided uh, that I started not feeling too. Uh, started, started not feeling that this was the right any longer a, a right place for me to be, yes. and um, I'm I still am fascinated with the with the science behind Oxford Biomedica's platforms and I and and it's the company with great people with brilliant minds. Um, it was just it's just it was just not the right environment for no. me. So um, yeah, in then in 2020 so last year i've uh, decided to leave um mm-hmm. having spent uh, two years with the company and um, i uh, consulted for a little bit and then i took a a, a, a tiny rest of about a <laughs> month or so i think <laughs> and uh, and then there and then, and then there came july when i joined um AmatoTech yes
0: I see I see I think I think we can allow you a month Dimitri after after 18 or 19
1: years <laughs> and... <laughs> this is very relative rest all the time, relative <laughs> rest all the time. and I don't know how, how how you take your holidays when I take my holidays I always I'm always with a laptop. unfortunately I yes. just I never feel that I can completely relax yeah they say it's not the right thing to do but it's just uh, you know it's, it's it's I guess it's just me <laughs> oh no I, I I'm the same I, I find it more stressful to not have
0: some sort of connection than to switch off the connection completely you know maybe you'd step back from it a little bit and it's not quite as frequent or or full on but yeah you just you just think about it it it
1: It absolutely is is. And and the one thing that frightens me the most is the time when the day when you need to return back to work and you turn on your outlook and then you have 300 <laughs> emails that you need to sort through yes even the thought of this actually makes me check emails on a regular basis on holiday
0: <laughs> i i understand I understand
1: so thank
0: you for sharing that that journey dimitri and as you as we've touched on you've covered a lot of ground in your career from from sort of Uh, clinical research in a big pharma company through to the work you're doing with MIDATech now and and several steps along the way. From a career perspective though, are there are there sort of key things that you reflect on as as real formative moments, real lessons, real real things that you you feel you've learned along the way about building a career in drug development in in this sort of industry uh, and things that you'd share with people who are perhaps earlier on
1: in that journey or starting out? I think uh, one of the one of the most important things uh, um, when you're starting your career or when you've just had the first few of of, of the field is mm-hmm. a to to make a decision there and then whether you like it or not and not to force yourself to get into something that you later are going to go yeah. to regret and then think I, sh- I should have i should have stayed in practical medicine or i should have been a practical biologist and i just was myself and now i'm now the time's gone mm-hmm. that's one thing and then the second thing is to decide for yourself what are your priori- what your priorities are whether you want to have whether you want to choose a path it's the right path, but it's your path to choose a path where you are sticking, for example, with one company, and mm-hmm. you are becoming an, an in-depth specialist in the area where you where you work. And as, as we all know, there are people that that work for the companies where they start throughout their entire life. It's very typical for for Germany, for example. It's very it's extremely typical for Japan, where people start and they finish mm-hmm. their career all in one company. Um, or the other alternative is the alternative that I have chosen for myself, and that is to that is to try and and to try and and and, and, and try yourself to try and try yourself. Sorry, <laughs> <I know laughs> and to try yourself in different in different in different areas within pharmaceutical mm-hmm. development, and giving yourself constant challenge of learning new things there are pros and cons to both approaches yes um and i'm not advocating advocating mine over the other one i I, what i'm advocating is an earlier choice and an earlier conscious choice for of a person um so that there are no regrets in the future that, that you know
0: yeah it makes sense and i think it's it's a really interesting point that you're making that there's not there's not a right way to build a career or a wrong way to build a career it's it's about what's right for you as an individual and what's right for your your personal circumstances and your your own preferences around how you develop and how you learn and and i think sometimes sometimes when people are trying to make decisions about their career they they can get a lot of advice from people and um what that what is right for that person isn't always right for someone else so i guess what you're saying there is make a choice that's right for you but make that choice early on and and be aware of what you how you work best and how you develop best and those things
1: that's right if you can and if you have an opportunity yeah. to make it just just to try and sit down and think about it and then I guess one other thing to add to this is that is that um, it is always advisable to understand for yourself whether your preferences lie in in um, growing into managerial roles yeah. or rather staying in more practical if you want uh, practical a uh, practical work and again there is no right or wrong here it yeah. is a personal is a personal attitude and a personal choice of of an individual some people are perfectly happy and they're performing and they are acting perfectly well fantastic in their own place they never aspire to be uh, to be senior managers, but mm-hmm. simply not be- not because they're not ambitious, for example, or the, but they're ambitious within their role, but they yes. just don't see themselves in being managers, for example, and these people are absolutely fantastic to work with, mm-hmm. whereas others, they really, really prefer to grow and get into the more strategic, more managerial role, um, which comes with its pros and cons. It comes with higher risks, it comes with higher it comes with higher responsibilities, mm-hmm. and it also comes with lack of, with, with with less practical work, which some people really prefer. So again, making trying to understand yourself um, and trying to understand your career aspirations is is is, is I think very important to do um, yes. again, so as not to be um, disappointed later in your life that that you uh, that you made a wrong choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, you know, if you're in a hands-on practical role, there are there are a lot of companies out there that if you've got fifteen, twenty years being practical and hands-on, that'll be really valuable to them and they'll be able to give you a different career option without having to go into management. But as you say, if 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 that if management is the route that you want to go down, if you if you want to help develop other people, if you want to contribute to their careers, then then people who want to take that responsibility are valuable too. So, um, yeah, I, I,
1: I see oh, that, that's absolutely true, Tom. And, uh, um, quite often, in fact, finding those people that are true specialists in their field is very hard because yes. they, they don't tend to move too often between companies. <laughs> so them in is, is, is a big challenge. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, Dimitri, you talked about the work that, that of course, attack are doing now and the platforms you're developing, the programs you're building within those platforms, and also, you know, obviously partnering with other organizations. We're recording this very early in 2022, so beginning of Feb 2022. What does this
1: year hold for you and the company? What, what's next for you guys? Um. We are actually um, quite excited about 2022 because mm-hmm. the number of large milestones is coming up within, uh, for, from IDEC. First and, first and foremost, we are starting our first uh, phase one, studying glioblastoma. That is the uh, that is the uh, brain tumor in patients with recurrent glioblastoma. So we are opening, we are right now opening two centers in the US and we had our IMD approved in December 2021. So mm-hmm. I hope that we will get our first patient Treated with our um, with our with the drug, which we called MTX one ten, yes. um, towards the end of March, or beginning of February this year, and 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 more patients to come in this study. We are also planning to start a phase two study in the pediatric brain tumor uh, mm-hmm. called DIPG, Diffuse Intrinsic Pontine Glioma. That is already a phase two study, and we're hoping to start it uh, around the third or fourth quarter of 2022. And on our platform side, uh, we, um, uh, we've we recently announced an extended collaboration with Janssen uh, mm-hmm. working on one of the uh, large molecules, um, of one of their large molecules, and trying to improve the, um, the, pro- the release profile that large molecule encapsulated in our Q-sphere technology. Yes. We also are in discussions with a number of other um, companies on the use of our Q- applicability of our Q-sphere technology and we um, are hoping to announce mm-hmm. um, some of these collaborations fairly soon. So, And then finally um, uh, on our own proprietary work um, we are we've started a a very interesting and exciting uh, development um, trying to, uh, which is aimed at characterizing the intratumoral delivery of various types of drugs and understanding the right doses, the right way to deliver this drug so that they cover the entirety of the tumour, trying to understand the best combinations of several drugs. And um, by the end of 2022, I really hope that we will be able to have a well-characterised intratumoral delivery platform that is based on on our QSFERA and uh, Midasolve technologies.
0: Excellent. So a busy year, and it sounds like could be a very transformative year for the company as well it is it is a very busy year well we wish you the best of luck with it dimitri um we will of course be keeping an eye on on the company's progress and good luck for the year
1: thank you very much it was a pleasure
0: thanks for joining us on careers in discovery and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and r d do take a look at our sponsors singular talent and their mission to make herring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.